Welcome to the Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show. And I have with me today um, Chris Riley, who is a people's champion, HR people's champion. That's right. <laughs> we gave him this new title, and one of the reasons why we gave him this title is because it's fitting. It's fitting because most HR people defend the company against the employee. And uh, Chris has a different heart. Chris has a father's heart, a heart to protect, provide, and to mentor. And uh, from that father's heart, he's really um, focused on the employee and their, their, uh, their rights, their feelings, uh, and defending them against corporate America and the companies they work with. And he does this not uh, antagonistically, so he does this for the benefit of the company as well as the benefit of the employees. So he's looking for a win-win situation. And you find that when people um, uh, have something in between their relationship with themselves and the company, uh, both parties hurt and both parties lose. And to really get a win-win situation, sometimes somebody has to get in between there yeah. and defend uh, the uh, employee or the people. That's why it's the, it's the people's champion. So with that in mind, uh, the, the topic we're going to talk about is offense today, but I want to turn it over to Chris to get his input on how uh, he sees himself and how God's using him in this way to be a champion of people who have been offended. I mean, human relations, offense happens all the time and it separates us. And God, in his heart, wants to unite us, particularly in his body, the church. But even else, you know, he's, he's looking for that to unite us to him. That's how we, the whole process starts relationally. And then how we are to relate to each other and we need to be united to yeah. each other and relate to one another. And you can't relate to somebody if you're offended. Yep. So with that in mind, Chris, uh, what's yep. your take? On... Well, well, first, Tom, I, I would be remiss to say first, thank you for having me back. Uh, I want to definitely say that uh, the work that you're you're doing to try to reach and equip others, uh, I'm just uh, honored that to, to play a part and just honored that uh, to be a part of kind of what you're doing to go out there to reach and connect and equip and unleash people and men to be the best of what they can be. So um, we, we need more of that out there. Uh, so, you know, I think that uh, to kind of level set a little bit on people's champion, I think that the, the organization and people, sometimes HR or people's, you know, uh, people resources, what I like to call it, they seem to sometimes be at odds with each other. Sometimes that I have to do one or the other. Um, I don't believe that's the case. I believe that I'm supposed to be a steward. Mm -hmm. uh, of the organization to take care of something that's not mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only to protect the company, but also and to protect uh, its its most valuable uh, resource, which are people, mm -hmm. right? Um, so uh, I think that sometimes those can be perceived as like they're at odds with one another. And uh, I try to make sure I balance that, that I'm, I'm a steward charged with caring for the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and that includes its assets, which are people. So, yeah. Most people don't realize the most important asset on the balance sheet isn't on the balance sheet. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, uh, profitable growth, if you're in the profit sector or, or reaching the vision, if you're in that nonprofit sector, right, um, are definitely important. You know, we have to make sure that without vision, people die without vision. So mm -hmm. we have to make sure that, you know, the company stays focused on company vision and expectation. But um, that gets done through not just processes and systems, but it gets done through people. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Financial people tend to look at the numbers as the metrics that they look at, and they don't really 
I'm not usually sensitive to the people behind what those numbers are. I, you know, I think that, you know, in, in, in church or prof, you know, for-profit and non-profit, that numbers are important too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might not be always a popular opinion, especially a non-profit, but they do because behind every number, there's a person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, if we look scripturally, scripture, you want to talk measurement, there are, are very specific, you know, levels of, of measurement that are even all throughout scripture. So uh, we definitely serve a God of detail for sure. Um, numbers are important, though, because they measure um, that we're being good stewards of what we're doing, because whatever is measured improves. Right. So one of the principles of scripture right from the very beginning is to be fruitful and multiply. And so you got to count the numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you got to calculate the measurement of you know, the multiplication. That's right? right. Even though I stopped at three. So. <laughs> yep. Well, at least you got more than two. <laughs> that was only equal. I always think of families when they have two kids. I always think a rich man's family has two kids, a boy and a girl, right? Yeah. Uh, that that uh, cultural statement. But you just living up to the, the same numbers as the, the the father and the mother. Yeah. You're not replacing yeah. more than the two that you've got. Well, when you have two kids, it's, 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 it's one, one on one, but when, after two and you're in the threes, you're just running zone defense at that point. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we had six, so. Yeah. You're I, definitely running zone defense <laughs> in that scenario. That's called a soccer team or, or <laughs> a basketball plus a sub or something. Right. Well, you know, my wife and I often look back and say, how did we do it? You know, because we see our kids having three kids, two or three kids, and they're going crazy, like at the beach or something like that. And uh, yeah. it, it's so much time and energy for the parents to take care of two or three kids. And how did you take care of six kids? How did you take them to the beach? How did you take them to church on Sunday morning? How did you do all the things you did as a family mm-hmm. with six kids? And it was fully eight people as an entourage. Well, we, we learned, you know, we learned how yep. we, we, we were able to do it. And, and part of the learning process there is actually depending upon the older ones to help you out with the younger ones. And that's mm-hmm. part of your system as, you, as yep. your family grows and develops. Built-in babysitters. <laughs> Built-in babysitters. <laughs> so uh, let's get back to this thought about offense. Uh, because I shared with you in my own heart how um, I find myself actually offending people that I didn't really want to offend, didn't even know I was offending. Mm. Um, I think I've lacked a certain sensitivity to uh, being aware of um, other people's feelings. Not so much the person I was talking to, but the people that were listening to what I was talking to. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that concept behind being offended, I guess my perspective has always been Jesus was never offended. So I try not to be offended. I try to know who I am, what God thinks of me. So why should I really care what you think about me <laughs> in one sense? So I might, I don't want to be offended by something I've, I've said, although the other side of that to be in balance is I have to be careful of what I'm saying so that I don't inadvertently offend somebody, even if I feel like I'm telling them something that's true. Um, and you said to me yeah. something very important. You said, you know, it's more important that people know your heart and know who you are before they can accept what you say. Right. And that's, that's, that was the truth. That was an insight that you gave me. It's one of the takeaways, one of the many takeaways uh, that I had in our conversations with each other. And I think God has really gifted you to have insight into those things. 
because you can't be in HR the way you are without understanding human relationships. Yeah. And what part of the gig, <laughs> what separates people. Well, not just part of the gig, it's a main part of the gig. Yep. It's, it's, it's yep. really something that's uh, essential and critically important to help to maintain those human relationships. Yeah. Uh, you're doing it in the marketplace, you know, in, uh, in that sense, because it's a business type thing, but it even applies to our relationships with our families, husband, wife relationships, parent, child relationships, every single one of those relationships, there's elements that happen uh, in our interaction where uh, the person we're talking to be offended or uh, taken apart or um, offended by something else. Mm -hmm. Scripture tells us not to be offended on behalf of somebody else. Right. Right. And uh, most people don't follow scripture, so they get themselves in trouble. Uh, and they don't see it that way. They, they, everybody seems like they have rights to be offended. You know, and our, our world teaches us that we have rights to be defended. There's, there's, a, there's almost a systematic attempt through media, through all the ways we get information, of trying to tell us that we have rights. And when our rights are not respected, are not so right, um, honored, that uh, we have a right to be offended. And... Uh, we're constantly bringing up more and more things to be offended about. And with that, we'll be back in a moment and we'll get Chris's response to that. All right. We were talking with Chris Riley about how people get offended and how they feel like they have more and more rights to be offended and more and more things to be offended about. So what's your take on that, Chris? Yeah, I think, you know, as... We're, we're in a society and, and in a time where as we have, we've come a long way, uh, there's still work to be done, though, especially since kind of the civil rights movement and, and all of the things that have helped shape the culture of, of America and the landscape that we're at, and not just in America, but geopolitically as well. Um, but with that, you know, when you're, you're dealing with an open society, right, th there's tensions to be managed with that. Mm -hmm. I think that... One, uh, the more that we can be uh, hyper-mindful, not hyper-critical, uh, of, of the things that, that, that might potentially offend others, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing, right? Um, Jesus was about his father's business, right? Mm -hmm. And the things that hurt the father were the things that hurt him. Uh, he didn't like entitlement. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't like uh, not having a spirit of gratitude, mm -hmm. um, but it was how he presented those things, right? He didn't like the money changes either, if I remember correctly. Well, correct. And there was, you know, a few flashpoints of where he was very, you know, very, very deliberate in how he responded, but he was also very intentional with how mm -hmm. he responded. Um, I think with offense, um, you are either somebody that is quick to offend or quick to understand. And I think that whatever it is that you're looking for, you're gonna find it, mm -hmm. whichever one of those that you are, right? Um, if you're someone that's quick to offend or to take offense, uh, then you might. Um, and I'm sure that somebody has a very good reason for why. It could be past hurts. It could be past abuses, right? It could be past situations. And, and I'm sure that everybody has a perfectly good reason for why they feel offended about a particular scenario. How do they get past that, though? I, I mean, I think that the, the, the number one piece is 
show me a scenario where somebody's quick to offend and I'm going to show you a situation where there's either past hurts involved or there's not a relationship established with, between the parties. Mm -hmm. um, if, um, if somebody knows me very well and I come off maybe X, Y, Z, a particular certain way, people are going to say, uh, uh, hey, I had this thing that happened with Chris. And if somebody who knows me mm -hmm. is advocating for me, he's going to say, what happened with Chris? Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you don't know Chris. That's not Chris, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to be kind of, because they know me. Mm -hmm. But if somebody doesn't, then it makes it hard for people, you know, to understand and make those assumptions. Um, and I think that the, the, the secret sauce to that is really uh, being able to be very mindful of everybody around you so nothing can contaminate your witness uh, of, of who you serve and who you're trying to serve, um, regardless of whoever is listening or watching this. Um, if you look at some of the greatest examples of people that didn't have positions of authority, Jesus of Nazareth, mm -hmm. Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., mm -hmm. none of them were generals, none of them were senators, none of them had any type of power in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. but they all had the ability to influence without authority. And how and why is that? Because people were inspired by the power of their example not the example of their power. Mm -hmm. they, 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 and they all had this ability to connect with people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in every one-on-one -on -one group, they just had this ability to connect with folks. And I think that's the key. I think that's really the key. Mm. It's two thoughts come to my mind. One, I had a political science course one time, I think it was in college or maybe it was in high school, and they talked about leaders and leaders de jure, meaning by law or jurisdiction, and leaders who are de facto leaders. And they say organizations run well when the de jure leader is also the de facto leader. And they do not run well when you have a de jure leader by law or position, and he's not a de facto leader. Mm -hmm. He or she is not a de facto leader. So there's that element there of uh, a person who leads because they can influence people and not driving them as a manager. Right, right. But they're leading them, you know, because of the love exchange they have between them. But part of that next question I had was this concept of people's past events that create woundedness. Mm -hmm. So out of a woundedness position from something that happened to me when I was a child, or anybody, who had, we all had those experiences, some, some many, many experiences. And so we come out of the place of the history of our right. emotions, and we've been wounded. And um, because we've been wounded, we're often... Um, find ourselves in a position of being offended. Well, let's even use a different word, offended. Let's say hurt. Okay. I'll change the word for a moment. Yeah. So they, they often say that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So out of your own hurt and pain, you're going to re reach out to attack, basically, or maybe to defend yourself against somebody uh, else who may not even intendingly trying to hurt you. Yeah. They inadvertently are saying something that you don't know, but you're reacting to it. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you address that situation, professionally speaking? I think the, the first thing that I was late to this party, um, I was very late to understanding that feedback is a gift, it's not a curse. Um, and whenever somebody I interact with or have interacted with that I can kind of sense that somebody might be taking offense or has been offended, um, I think one of the, the, the things to look at is um, I want to understand why, right? Mm -hmm. So if I see that somebody might have been offended or maybe I've, I've, somebody has told me after, hey, 
I didn't really like our interaction. One of the things I try to find out is tell me what I did. Tell me where I, I got, I, I got, I, I was a mess, right? Was um, it, was it what I said or the tone of what I said? Yeah. And I want to understand why. Now that's hard for some folks to like, Ooh, that's really hard. Cause you know, that means you got to be vulnerable. That means you got, I'm not saying I'm agreeing with them yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. I'm just saying, I want to understand why. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's somewhere that there was a miss. Right. That whole perception is reality. Perception doesn't mean it's true, Mm -hmm. but it means there's nobody just wakes up and says, hey, I just think of, you know, Chris's certain kind of way. I don't know. There was something that I said or did. Mm -hmm. And I want and I think the responsibility is on me to find out why, regardless of somebody's like, well, that's on them. Uh, I want to understand why. What it is. Suppose they don't understand why. I mean, suppose something from their subconscious it, that's it, hidden it, between. It could be. It could be. You know, there, there's two parts, right? There's there's relevant past pain can be an indicator of future pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also trying to make sure that I wrap my head around that whenever I'm talking with somebody, um, there was something that I might have said or did that caused an offense or a past issue, past tone. Maybe my, my timing was wrong, whatever. So I think the first thing to do is. Don't seek to be understood, seek to understand. That's key, is seek to understand and ask why. Tell me more, tell me more. I wanna really understand why. Um, that is always the key to, to really, I think great leaders absorb the pain, right? Mm-hmm. They absorb the pain and they, my responsibility is to find out, tell me what I did and I wanna listen. Usually a, a psychology study shows that the average person who's really angry can usually go only full tilt for about a minute to two minutes, like fully screaming and yelling, right? Mm-hmm. So the worst thing that I can do is turn up the volume. What I want to do is knowing for the first one to two minutes somebody's upset, I want to make sure I absorb the pain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, take the high ground. Uh, there, there's less traffic up there. Not react immediately. to That's them. right. Tell me more. Tell me more. When you ask, tell me more two or three times, it allows the balloon to let out the air. Mm-hmm. And then once I've taken and understood everything, then I'm able to kind of delicately find that on-ramp and having that conversation. You use the word anger. Um, I've often said, heard that anger is a secondary emotion. The first is either frustration, people get angry because they're frustrated, or they're hurt. Yeah. And I think most of the time they're hurt. Something that's hurt. So if you're having a communication with somebody or somebody's listening to this uh, broadcast or this eventually podcast, what is it that makes you react emotionally? What upsets you? And when yeah, you find out what yeah. upsets you, what's behind that being upset? You know, in whenever, if you think about any time you face a challenging tension, disagreement, situation, frustration at work, frustration at home, child relationship, it's when we feel justified the most, right? Justification leads to temptation, mm-hmm. and that prevents us from justification, and it prevents us from really understanding. So when we feel tempt, when we're te- justified the most, right? That's when we face our greatest temptation the most, right? That I am justified in how I feel, and so now I'm faced with this temptation that the temptation of reacting, responding, um, and and sometimes. That can always be damaging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is, if we're able to stay calm in the moment and face that, uh, we get past justification, we overcome temptation, and then we can reach what I like to call the manifestation stage, which is reaching the manifestation of the example of Christ. Now, somebody listening might say, well, that's easy to say, that's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that is something that can be done with time and practice, right? So it's not fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. It's fake it till you become it, right? And just like anything, you just got to practice it one situation at a time. Well, do you actually have to fake it? In other words, um, I find myself certain situations where I'm not trying to fake it. I'm just trying to understand how God thinks about this thing. And I find myself switching gears from how am I reacting to this to how my father thinks about this. And to the extent that I can think that way, it's not a faking of it. Mm -hmm. it, it literally is a shifting of the mindset, a shifting of my how I'm perceiving it. I, I wish I was that good. Uh, my wife of 25, almost 26 years will be the first to tell you, um, you should have seen my husband in his 20s. <laughs> Because I, I think you do have to fake it till you become it, right? Is I had to learn restraint because thankfully I had some leaders that were placed in my trajectory mm -hmm. that spoke and saw something in me that I didn't see in me. Great leaders have the power of x-ray vision. Mm -hmm. They have the ability to see through what could be. Um, and they got in my trajectory and were able to tell me, but in my 20s, I was not good at showing restraint. So if you're somebody that doesn't know that, um, don't look at the highlight reel, right? Mm -hmm. As I had to learn to fake it till become it, where somebody says, hey, you got to show some restraint. Um, and, and my wife will be the first to tell you, the way that I was arguing in my 20s compared to how I am now, uh, I still have my moments, but uh, I'm a work in progress, right, uh, compared to how I used to be. You know, when I see you and I have conversations with you, I know I can't see what you were like 25 years ago. But I don't necessarily, I understand the concept you're trying to communicate about restraint and trying to discipline, gritting your teeth to, mm -hmm. to, to discipline yourself, not to react. But to me, that's not faking it. That's actually exercising uh, a discipline that's right. that you didn't have before. So it's, it's not really faking it, but rather executing a, a plan that you have. And you, know, you have to make that decision to restrain for, for the sake of yourself and for the sake of the person you're talking to. So yep. we'll be back in a moment here with Chris and we'll pursue our discussion about offense. Yeah. We're back with Chris Riley and we're we discussing this issue of offense. There's so many things, there's probably a dozen, probably hundreds of reasons why we could be offended. So rather than focus on all the different things we offended, how do we overcome the offense? How, how, is, how does a person respond in a positive way so that they're A, they're not offended, or B, if they are offended, they can overcome it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of along those lines, too. You were talking in the last piece uh, around restraint. Uh, I think there, there's something just to lift up your point about restraint is um, restraint doesn't mean weakness. Mm -hmm. uh, restraint... Is, is is showing conviction under an oppressive situation, right? So a lot of people think that showing restraint that I just got to show them how it is and that's not who I am and I'm not weak. Restraint is, is the hardest form of strength uh, mm -hmm. under an oppressive scenario. Um, and then when you talk about like when we're faced with uh, offense, right? That uh, I think nothing separates somebody so far from the devil's grasp uh, than humility. You know, uh, it's like a famous movie quote said where, the, where Al Pacino was playing Satan in the movie. He said, pride, my favorite sin, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, that's the thing that keeps us all from it is pride, ego, or control. Need more of it, don't have enough of it, fearing I'm going to lose it, right? Those are all the things that keep us from apologizing. 
if you look up kind of like what the word apology really means, an apology means I want to restore what was broken. That's what an apology is, mm-hmm. is I want to restore what was broken. That's what the word means. Loosely translated, it does. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes we forget that, that what that means. And, and sometimes we forget to even teach others, uh, uh, friends, family, loved ones, children, how to apologize. So one of the things that we're trying to do with our boys in the house is uh, teach them, because I, I kind of came from a little bit of that struggle uh, the, growing up where that might have been the opportunity, you know, growing up, you know, mm-hmm. I have great parents don't want to dishonor any of that. But my parents taught me about, you know, honor and, 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 and make sure you step up to the plate. But apologizing sometimes was sometimes the challenge, right? So one mm-hmm. of the things we're trying to teach our boys is um, easy ways to say sorry, sticky statements to say sorry. So one of the examples is, is, hey, I'm sorry. How can I make it right? Mm-hmm. I'm That's sorry. Two things there. How can I make it right? Right. Those, those are, or, um, you were right. I was wrong. And for that, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So trying to actually teach and that's hard, right? It's like, ugh. but really teaching how to apologize because when I'm apologizing, what I'm doing is I'm wanting to make sure that whatever it is, however I say it, I want to restore what was broken. I think that's the key. How, what about if you don't think you were wrong? Like I, I've had conversations with my own family yep. and you know, so I don't think that I'm wrong, but I apologize to you. Mm. If I've hurt your feelings by what I did, yep. I apologize for hurting your feelings. And it's, it's a different, a different conversation. If I say as a father, and I've had these conversations as well, I, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. Yeah. And when a father yeah. can humble himself to say that to his children, yep. it really makes the connection. You have you develop tremendous amount of, I'll call it personal capital yeah. with your children. If you admit yourself, admit your mistakes, because they tend to put the parents, particularly the father on a pedestal. Yeah. And yeah. when he comes off the pedestal and says, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, I apologize, please forgive me. That's one conversation. That's right. Another conversation is, I don't think I'm wrong in what I'm saying, but if I've offended you, I've apologized for offending. I apologize for hurting your feelings Mm -hmm. because I understand there's a place for your feelings in there somewhere. And I don't want your feelings to be hurt, even though I can't say that what I said was wrong. I, I think that the biggest challenge too is whenever you're approaching a situation of apologizing, words have such weight and to dance and tiptoe through the tulip field very carefully when, when we're approaching those situations. One of the worst things we can tell somebody is, I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's the quickest way to throw gasoline. You're either somebody that's throwing uh, a gasoline on the fire or you're trying to take a log off of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever somebody trying to apologize, I say, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's that. That's a. That's the worst thing. What, one of the biggest things is to um, understand that. Is that um, because you're putting it on them? No, because I want to make sure that there's a reason that you're upset. There's something that I've said or done, or whether it's because I haven't put enough investment in our relationship that mm-hmm. that there's been offense here, and for that part, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not saying I'm sorry. You feel that way? I'm not completely admitting that I was 100% wrong because we could agree to disagree, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that there's something that how I carried myself that came off um, and that my effort fell short. And for that, I'm sorry. And, and, and you spoke about it earlier about fathers that I don't know what it is 
that, and I've said this in a group full of, of, of women and men all at the same time, and I, and I made sure to tread carefully with, with the moms and the ladies and the wives in the room, is men, uh, the, the voice in your home is arguably one of the most powerful voices that your family and loved ones will ever hear. And I asked the group of wives that, and I said, what, ladies, wives, how am I doing? They're like, keep on going. And, and I don't know what it is because my, my wife, she can have a bad day and come in and, you know, maybe be fussing about this, that, and the other. And the atmosphere doesn't change a whole lot. It just kind of makes us, hey, how, what can we do to help mom out? But when I come in as and a I'm father, fussing. As a father, you're talking about. Yeah. There is something about my tone, my voice, and my volume sometimes is arguably lower than my, my, my lovely wives. But there's something about my tone that changes the atmosphere in the room. Because men, we're, we're, as leaders, we can change the atmosphere in the room. I think that God's wired it that way. I mean, I, I, I heard, uh, read some secular studies that talked about 85% of a child's identity, whether it's a boy or a girl, doesn't matter. It's not gender specific. 85% of their identity comes from the words that the father speaks. Mm-hmm. If a father says something about a child, they retain that. Mother, not so much. Yep. You know, and I, I, you can't explain that. That's not a religious thing. That's not just, just the way no, it is. I mean, I, I think to lift up your point, so whether you're, even if, you know, if you're a, a, a father, uh, even if you're a single mom listening to this, um, all, you know, in all those scenarios, those are all positions of leadership. Leadership mm-hmm. isn't title, it's influence, right? Mm-hmm. It really is. It's about in, your ability to influence change. So everybody's a leader, friends, family, brothers and sisters, we all have the ability to change someone's opinion and, and, and great leaders, there's a difference between a, a thermostat and a thermometer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a thermometer just tells the temperature, but a, a, a thermostat changes the atmosphere in the room. It changes the temp- and great leaders have the ability to change the atmosphere in the room real quick. If it's, Hey, we're all kind of loose around here. We need to turn up the heat, right? We need to kind of get going, right? We got to get to practice. We got to get going or everyone's kind of freaking out. You know, uh, somebody can walk in and go, hey, let's all kind of calm down, right? So leaders have the ability to change the atmosphere. So I think to your point, it's knowing that and knowing that my words have weight, my tone has weight. 99% of the time, it's not what I've said, it's how I'm saying it that usually changes. I've never met a single mom that didn't regret having a father in the family. Yeah, and they seek to have a family, a father figure there. Um, many uh, single moms would like to get married again just to have a father for their children, because they honestly realize the truth is that they can't be that person. They're just not wired that way. Mm-hmm. God bless them; they could try to be the greatest mother walking, but there's a, there's an element just missing in the family. And it's also sad to me to find out that you know there's only like 37 percent of the families in America are nuclear families which means a father, a mother, and at least one child. That, you know, that's declining yeah. dramatically, and it has a tremendously adverse effect on our society. Mm-hmm. But anyway, getting back, we're getting off the subject a little bit about this concept of apology. Yeah. And getting yeah. back to apology and apologizing as one of the tools that um, we can use. Mm-hmm. To, a very practical tool, truthful tool, that we can use to uh, reconnect. Because it's so much more important that um, we uh, learn to relate to one another and to maintain those relationships. Yeah. I I think that when you're talking apology and you're also talking about ways to avoid, you know, um, 
offense and conflict. It's also when you're faced in a situation where ooh, I'm bumping up against something that could be a tension moment, it's being um, very quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm quick to listen, slow to speak, and asking if, if we spent more time asking questions, tell me what you meant when you said that. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you meant by that. Or how long have you been feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Um, or whenever I'm talking to somebody and I can sense that there's something happening with, like I can just tell body language, my, the way that they're shifting, the way that they're moving, eye contact. I, I try to lean in and find out, hey, I sense that maybe, I get a sense that something I'm saying might be, tell me how you're feeling right now. Tell me how you're feeling about that. And I try to just get a temperature read, find out, tell me how you're feeling about that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I have to be, that we're, you know, I'm advocating that we're all people pleasers because you can't please everybody. But what I want to make sure is that I'm hypersensitive, that I want to be about my father's business, right? Because I want to make sure that my heart hurts for what hurts his. Mm-hmm. And I have to make sure that I'm being intentional about caring about the response of, of how I'm coming off to somebody else. So I'm either unengaged or I'm doing it on purpose, mm-hmm. or I don't care. All of those are not good, right? right? All of those are not good. You know, we talk about a lot of the conversations are relationally on a horizontal human level, but it's often sometimes strikes my mind as, what about the vertical relationship we have with God, ourselves? And how do we have these conversations with him about what we're doing, what we're thinking? It always struck me that uh, David in the scripture committed a lot of sins, mm-hmm. right? But God still said he's a, a man after my own heart. Right. After, you know, adultery, murder, all these horrible sins he committed. Saul, on the other hand, right? It's not recorded that the guy did that many things wrong. Like if you go, mm-hmm. if, you, if you qualify the quantify the sins, right? It doesn't seem like he sat, right? but he didn't have a heart after God. And it's like, God's doesn't seem to be as, concerned about the number of sins that we commit, but more about the relationship we have with him or the lack thereof. Yep. Right? He, the, the relationship formula is scripture kind of goes, and, and so take David, for example, right? It, it's, hey, um, when we miss the mark and, and, and we're not where we need to be, right, in a relationship, uh, especially with God or, you know, friends, family, and loved ones, the, the formula for relationship reconciliation is I have to have repentance and to, in order to lead to restoration. And repent's like this big churchy word. It means, ah, oh, repent for the kingdom of God. The, the word repent really means to change mind. Right. That's what the real translation of the word repent means is to change one's mind. So change your mind for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So if I don't change my mind about what I'm, whatever I feel, like if I don't agree that what I did was wrong, you can't have reconciliation. And reconciliation is what leads to relationships. You know, I've seen it, actually, there's one word I would use before I got to repentance, and that word is confess. As a confess is, I got to agree that I was wrong to begin right. with. Yep. Right? If I don't recognize I was wrong to be good, there's nothing to repent Which about. Which is part of the restoration when yes. you confess. Yes. Yep. So it's just interesting, confession, repentance, reconciliation, connecting both to, to God and to man. We'll be back in a moment with Chris Riley. And talking about grace. We're back with Chris Riley, and we want to talk about um, overcoming offense. And there is a scriptural principle dealing with the issue of grace. Yeah. The definition of grace is unmerited favor. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, a lot of times we live in a world where there's a quid pro quo, which is a Latin term for this or that. I do something to you, you give something back to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in business you have that, you know, you provide a service to me and I pay you money for it. So there's a quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't operate on quid pro, pro, quid pro quo. Yeah. It operates on grace, yep. which is unmerited favor. It's something that God extends to us, even though we don't deserve it. And it's something that we can uh, extend to someone else, right? even though they don't deserve it. Yep. So let's yep. talk a moment about how grace is a uh, an action or a, um, something we can extend to people that brings healing, brings reconciliation, even though yeah. they don't deserve it. Yeah, I think number one is you think through, um, you know, scripturally around trying to do what we can to outdo one another in honor, right? We, we hear Paul talk about like, how can we outdo one another in honor? Think about what that means is it's almost a competition. I'm going to try to outdo you, Tom. Anytime I get a chance, I want to outdo you in honor. Better not play pickup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might let you. I might let you. I might let you win, even though if I know I'm going to get. You know, whatever that looks like, right? Is outdoing and and so quid pro quo, big fancy legal term. Um, you know, the word respect is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. No, I didn't. But the know word that. honor is mentioned throughout the Bible over 77 different times. Mm -hmm. The word honor. Respect is, I respect you, or respect is earned, right? Mm -hmm. It's not given. I got to earn it. It's based mm -hmm. on earning. It's based on, 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 on works. Mm -hmm. Honor is based on position. It's based on authority. It's whatever the context is, right? Whatever the situation is, I'm going to honor the person that has been put before me in that situation, right? I'm going to show it to you even when you don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. If it's a... A, a rough cop who's had a bad day, if it's a, a waitress that's not having a good day, mm -hmm. um, if I am a manager and one of my employees is, I'm going to show you honor. Mm -hmm. And honor is the pathway that enables, that really helps us understand, because grace really is, is, is it gives the good things to you that you don't deserve. One of the things I like to tell managers is when they're upset with a, 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 one of the employees, I'm like, depending on what the situation was, right? Sure. You know, now if it's something egregious, it's a little bit different, but I try to really find a way to say, hey, do you think it'd be good that we showed maybe a measure of grace in this situation? A measure isn't a whole runway. It's mm -hmm. the a situation might, I think, I think this situation, we should show a little measure of grace. Yeah, they should have probably came prepared for X, Y, and Z, but let's find out where the miss was and why, and maybe what part we own or they own or whatever, but let's show a measure of grace because um, mercy spares us from the things that we do deserve right? Mm -hmm. Grace gives us the things um, that we don't, you know, that he's given us no matter what in this situation. So uh, I think that, you know, uh, when you kind of try to balance the thing is grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy uh, is what we get, what we do deserve, right? And mm -hmm. I think that um, the blessings is God gives us a little bit of both. He gives us grace, right, through his son, but he also gives us mercy that there's sometimes we're allowed to go through situations that we had, we kind of have to have some of these things that ha we have to go through to stretch our capacity to do more and maybe prepare to do more down the road. So. Mm. You know, a lot of people, you mentioned the word justified before earlier, mm -hmm. and a lot, a lot of people where they were raised um, want to always feel that they are justified and they have this sense of justice. Yep. Justice is a very strong motivator for a number of people. And mercy flies in the face of justice. Mm -hmm. You know, it, and I say flies in the face, it's the opposite. It's like, it's admitting 
or it's not necessarily the sun, saying something was unjust, but or, or justified. Yeah, because they're saying it's justified, but in spite of the fact that there is a justification for it, we are going to provide you know mercy. To your point, I, I don't think that you know. So um, our, our second our second oldest, his name is Justice, right? And it's spelled J U S T U S. One who is just, one who is righteous. Is, mm-hmm. You know. Um, I'm from the book of, named after uh, one of the apostles in Acts chapter one. And justification, right, is an enabler of entitlement, Mm -hmm. right? Justice is not my position to execute, right? Justice is for a a, a different governing authority that's put put in my path. It could be a police officer. It could be a, a judge. It could be a higher power. Now, uh, do I have a right? Do, do I do I have a calling to stand up for those that are oppressed? Absolutely. But enacting justice is not that's not my that's above my pay grade, as we like to say in HR. It's well, a, as a father, your kids could come to you and a, say, "Hey, Dad." They know. could. They they could, and I have to enact some type of punishment. That's <laughs> the case of giving justice because what's my position now? As a father, honor yeah. is rooted in position and authority, right? Mm-hmm. It's when we step outside our pay grade, yeah. as we say in HR, yeah. that's when it gets a little thorny, right? right? And a good father, if I didn't punish, right? Um, I, we, we told one of our, our, our youngest that, why, why, why is it that mommy and daddy punish us? And I, and I gave the analogy. I said, um, you, you know that, 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 that sweet young little baby across the street? And, and my, our boys, they love you know little babies. They, they look to, to protect and play. And I said, what would you do if you saw some older guy, a grown-up, walk over and, and assault that little girl in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, daddy, I'd be so mad. I'm like, you would be angry, wouldn't you? What if the policeman showed up and said, "Yeah, he's okay, he didn't do anything wrong. But yet there's a video, you guys saw it happen. Mm-hmm. What would you think of the police officer? Like, daddy, that'd be, be so unfair. the police. That'd be, <laughs> he'd be, <laughs> daddy, that'd be so unfair, right? right. And, and all, you know, all our police officers... Great law, but you know, I, I, I support our law enforcement. But let's just say in this example that they just let the person go. Eh, you know, we'll, we'll give you a pass on this one. And and both of our boys, without missing a beat, said, "I'd be pretty angry. Mm. Why? Because something bad happened, right? And no justice was given, right? Right? And they were like, the light bulb kind of slowly started to flicker sure. there on on justice and justification in the right context. If you think of really what is the whole reason behind government, government is there scripturally mm-hmm. to protect innocent people from evil. Yeah. It's as simple as that, protecting innocent from evil. So justice has to be part, the Department of Justice has to be in a government. Yeah. There yeah. has to be some justice uh, implemented, executed, if you will, mm-hmm. inside any governmental authority of a rightful authority. Yeah. Otherwise, it breaks down. Well, the, the 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 tension that pops up is sometimes we have situations, you know, I have a friend of mine, he's an attorney, and he said that sometimes we don't get it right, you know, uh, the, 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 but he said that I have, and this attorney is a pretty well-renowned attorney. He's case trialed a lot of big cases, and he said that... The, he's traveled around the world and he has seen other countries that don't have the same setup of judicial system that we do. And he said, bar none, our judicial system still by far is the model and blueprint used by many countries. We don't always get it right. We do not always get it right. And, that, and we have to figure that out and solve for that. The issue, though, is when somebody has been on the wrong end of that, that's where that justification comes into play. 
And that's a tough situation for anybody that we, we had this bad situation that happened, but then all of a sudden we start thinking that everything is bad, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of that managing by exception that because this one off happened, mm. now all of a sudden I kind of make it everything about, and, sure. and that's the, that's the thing that we all have to kind of have the dialogue sure. and have that push pull and uh, have that seek to understand conversation. We've seen that happen in our society when you had a bad police officer, example. That's right. Do something he shouldn't do. That's right. And then you want to condemn all law enforcement because of this one bad apple. Which is wrong. But is we need to educate and find out how, right. why that happened, right? And what's the systemic issue? Are we not training and equipping where we need to make sure this doesn't happen again? The other part of it is the at the higher level of just, justice, is if it's overtaken by people who are evil and by defined evil, that which is not right, mm -hmm. and you weaponize the justice system yep. to condemn people, which we see happening in our society now. I don't want to go too far into it, but certainly most people who are objective would say that what's happening with Donald Trump with all these indictments is politically motivated. There's a political motivation, whether you like him or don't, there's a political motivation behind not getting him off the ballot and using a justice system against him. This is just not right. This is not America. This is not what the founding fathers has created America to be. It's not a democratic republic that functions that way. It's a banana republic. Yeah. Uh, and it violates the principles of why government is there and uh, justice system is there. I'll give you one little example, though. You mentioned about your son, Justice. Uh, my oldest son is Isaac, uh, long-awaited son, which means. And he shocked me one day when he was probably about six or seven years old when I gave him a spanking. And he turned around at the spanking and thanked me. Is that I know I did something wrong, and I want to thank you for spanking me. You know, he 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 received it so well, mm -hmm. shockingly to me. I never had of any of the mother six kids actually say that to me, but it shocked me that he understood that the purpose of the spanking was to correct him for his own good. Right. And I was doing it because I loved him, not because I didn't. That's right. And I think that type of perspective is a biblical perspective that we should have with God our Father. Each one of us mm -hmm. understand that when God corrects us, he does it because he loves us. Yep. I think that correction applied delicately, gracefully. Whenever you're, we're addressing a correction situation or a, a, a wrongdoing, I don't care. It doesn't matter whether at the workplace or at home. Um, I was talking to a dad one time that was asking about, hey, you know, what, how do you, what's the balance of, you know, the right way? I said, listen, I, I'm not in your home. That's, that's out of my, my pay grade as well. I said, but what I can tell you that the compass that you should use to apply is if the other person that you're speaking with questions that you care and love them, then you've, we've missed the mark. Mm-hmm. No one should ever question that I care about them or I love them in any context if I'm applying correction. And sure. if they do, that's where the work needs to sure. happen to get, right? To, yeah, to I get made the there. mistake on the other side of that, where I've actually disciplined my children because I was angry with them. I was upset by something they did and I reacted out of the, of being angry at what they did. I was not doing out of love. And it was, yeah, it was totally different how, how the child reacted to that. So we want to thank you for uh, listening today, and yeah. uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, you can come to Facebook.com, Papa Tom's Tales, yep. and listen to this video. 
because we archive it on uh, on YouTube and we archive it on Facebook.com and on the station, WSICnews.com, the Father's Heart Talk Show. We'll be back next week. Yep. Take care. Thanks, Tom. See you guys. <laughs>